community and actually outside to this community also i have seen this book this teachings from this book in um lot of other um communities also like hindu community and also um sufi communities and um other secular communities also and uh, a little bit history about this book um it's written by an indian sage called shanti deva in the 8th century shanti deva means shanti is peace and deva is god his um monastery name is shanti deva before that he was actually a prince just like shakyamuni buddha he was a he was a prince and um, Uh, his story is some, somewhat similar to uh, buddha to he was about to be thrown as the next king and uh, the day before he was supposed to be enthroned he just escaped from the palace <laughs> have you have you heard about this this story heather no okay it's actually new information for me too so uh, just couple of weeks before uh, back i learned this also he was also a prince and his dad was grooming him to be the next king and um, on the day before he had a, a small day before his enthronement um, he had a small um, what problem with the temperature of the water that he was taking bath <laughs> <laughs> and he was complaining about that to his mom and then his mom told him wait till tomorrow wait till you become the king <laughs> you're complaining about the temperature of the water uh, now wait till you become the king to see all the problems that you are going to handle and that the thing is that was enough for him to get renunciation he was just an indulgent person before also just like buddha and uh, just that one one statement from his mom opened his eyes and it's actually very very uh, strange like some people for some people the maturity the seed of dharma or enlightenment is so much you know it's ready to ripen it just something is needed you know so all of a sudden he decided when moms said that wait till tomorrow when you become the king and you know what real problems are this is, you, you will have 100 more problems than this and uh, that night he left the palace and then he joined mahayana um the university of uh, 
Nalanda. And um, um, his renunciation was so deep. His renunciation was so deep that though he was a prince and um, you know, in India, princes, they get the higher form, highest form of education. They get, there are six, uh, you know, if in right now in, um, in 21st century, if anybody want to take education, you know, there are major areas of um, education. You can go into arts, you can go into science, you can go into technology, you can go into business management. Yeah. So, so there are like some high level areas like that in, in um, in India, in the uh, Mahayana times, there were like six areas of education. There is arts, um, Ayurveda. There is um, health related. Um, then language, language studies. So he, princes usually get um, taught all this, <clears throat> and he was educated. He was given all kind of. Um, intelligences, um, first class, and all that went away from in one night. And he went back to, he went to a monastery and even in monastery, his renunciation was so dope, so deep that he did not socialize much. And um, um, and he did not even, he will not even go to meditation sessions. He just withdrew. And um, another another striking thing about Shanti Deva is this root text guide to Bodhisattva's way of life. As I said, is actually quoted by every tradition as actually a root text of how to generate a how to develop a loving heart. And the person who actually wrote that he was not loved by his. Uh, colleagues or his monks. These monks who were in the monastery who took the vow to liberate everybody, they could not love Shantideva. <laughs> These kind of things are actually shocking to me. You know, he, he was disliked, not even not, not only that he was not loved, he was disliked because the only thing he would actually come out of his meditation room or was to eat and poop and then he will go back to his room and sleep so he was called mr three things eat poop and sleep eat poop and sleep so he was disliked and he was made fun of he was uh, hazed <laughs> maybe I, I wonder how the monks haze uh, new monks <laughs> so uh, um, and then uh, they all wanted to make fun of him and had him sign up for a session of teaching and uh, he had to do that out of compulsion and he came to the meditation room and he just read the, the journal he had kept for himself so this guide to bodhisattva's way of life was not actually a book that was written As a book, you know, to show the knowledge or share the knowledge or becoming uh, uh, like I'm an expert, so I need students, so I am uh, to show scholarship or anything like that. It was, it was just a journal that any practitioner would write for themselves. 
if they had it. I, I, I have my own journal. I go back to sometimes some of my writings, even I did in 2010 and just, you know, it, it takes me to that time, the events that made me write. And then that way it actually reinforces my own realization at that time. So this guide to Bodhisattva's way of life um, is actually the journal that he actually wrote for himself. It's actually a song of realization. It's actually not even instruction. It's actually, you can, if you actually read that book, it's very simple. It may be about 100 pages. It has 10 chapters. And um, there are many translations, major, you know, I have, I have seen about five translations, all simple English and um, you can see that it is actually just, he's talking to himself, his contemplations, he just wrote. <clears throat> and many, many teachings, I have taken teachings about this in our um, Diamond Light original um, 18 courses and from other places also. Um, what I missed in all those teachings is a reading of the root text. So teachers come with preparations of um, slides about the core teachings and then give their talk, um, which is what I was also planning to do. Um, but then some, I when I went back and read that book, I was like, there is nothing to say more. We are here for 90 minutes. You know, we are here for 90 minutes and I need to put at least half of that time to read the original text. No, um, because it's so simple and there is no need for explanations. It goes directly into your heart. So there are like teachings, you know, uh, I, I've said this story before. A, a, a teacher and a student was going through the woods and the student was actually making fun when they saw three skulls lying around. And the student actually asked the teacher, hey, teacher, out of these three skulls, who was enlightened? <laughs> because three dead people's skulls are lying on the ground and who is enlightened? So the teacher uh, took the first skull and you know, took a bamboo shoot and put it through the ear and it came out. The bamboo shoot came out of the, the next ear and he's throwing, no, he was not enlightened. The second one was, he, he put the bamboo shoot in the ear and the bamboo shoot went up to the head, to the, to the brain. <laughs> Teacher said, no, he's also not enlightened. The third one, when the skull, um, the bamboo shoot was put, it actually went down to the heart. So the teacher said, this may be the enlightened person. So there are two teachings there. You know, we are all, we are all going to be dead. <laughs> Doesn't matter who is enlightened for a skull. If, if that's what we are going for a skull. Um, but then the thing is, if you hear something and it just just goes out of your um, ear or out of your mouth or up up to the head brain, you store a library of Buddhist 
literature it doesn't matter it has to go to the heart and i thought reading some of these chapters actually is like when i started i could not actually stop so i'm going to spend about 30 minutes reading also um and also please um this i want this to be um a little interactive um there is only six seven eight of us um so if you have any comments or any any anything to say or ask please interact i'm not actually a dharma teacher um i'm just like an extension cord <laughs> doesn't generate any electricity just takes and gives to the um it just extends so um what i'm going to do is um in the first class i'm actually going to give a overview of the 10 chapters so that um if you go back and the next two weeks if you have chance to um read you will know what what that book is about and just a summary of that book and and then i'm actually going to take um the first three or four chapters today um which is basically um an encouragement to uh the first three is actually planting intentions first three or four and then it goes into practices like six perfections and the last three is actually meditation wisdom and dedication so that's how my three weeks are going to be the first this the first day it's, it's all about um uh, planting the intention what is this text about what is the background what is the summary uh, how, what is it going to do for me um and um that what is it um what i have to do um to uh, learn that and then uh, the next next week's class will be like specific practices on mental afflictions and uh, especially anger um greed hatred um other delusions and the third class will be a wisdom and um dedication so is there any question any comment about this three week series how do you feel about it share something don't you know please don't be silent share something Heather and I think it sounds great and Heather wants to know if we're going to take a break uh not now but in during the class during the yes um we will take uh, the classes from 6:30 to 8 so it's already about 7:00 so 7:00 to um we'll start with the um with the chapter 1 and I'm going to read there are 30 verses on that so i'm going to actually read those verses it's very simple there is nothing more to say so after that we'll sit for like 3 minutes and then take a break and come back and um, handle the next uh, two or three chapters how about that um if i posted the link to the Stephen Batchelor edition of this would that be okay Stephen Batchelor yeah it's a Oh, is that Most one of the translations? That yeah. is one. Yeah, you, you can. I am actually. Yeah, yeah. Please, please go. I am actually going to read yeah. from Alan Wallace's um, translation. Oh. Oh, okay. Then um, I'll find that one. Okay. 
Does anybody else have any comments or questions or anything? I think in the beginning, you talked about how he ended up being really isolated and feeling isolated from people um, when he got deeper in the practice. But is that a typical thing that happens? And or does do some people dive deeper into connection with others? Can it go one way or the other? Or does it, is it just, because I've felt, I guess, isolation before and, but then I've also felt a lot of connection at times and I don't know if it wavers back and forth or. Yeah, thank, thanks very much for asking that question. That's a very important question. And, um, you know, I don't know the definite answer, but I will tell from my experience, from my own experience and from, uh, from um, readings and also experience from my own other, other friends, I think there is, will be a time of depression first. There will be a, a time of uh, um, disconnect. And, and then once that disconnect has served or, or renunciation that time, that depression time um, has served its purpose. Um, I think the purpose of it is actually to, to converge or to gather our energies to a new direction. Like if I'm going to, if I have going on a freeway, 101 south and in my mind i have to go north you know um, um and at some point i'm like i'm actually not going to north i'm actually going to, i'm actually going at 70 miles per hour on uh, and listening to all the uh, all the uh, you know music and enjoying the drive but actually i'm actually driving to the south i'm not going to the north when i have that realization what do i do I'm, I'm looking at where is the exit? <laughs> How can I get out of this? You know, and then I take the exit and if there is something, I, uh, if, I, if I have the energy, I will just take a U-turn and go back to North. But otherwise I'll just, you know, take a, go to a gas station, fill the gas or something. It's, it's the same, same way it happened to me too. I actually remember in 2010, in 2010 when, um, I was actually, uh, this is my pre-diamond pre light time, pre-dharma time. I was a workaholic, um, very type A personality, going and getting into all kinds of troubles. And I was like go-getter at work and everything, being proud of it, not caring what harm I caused by, by words or deeds to others. And um, always filled with aggression in my mind and always getting into arguments and all those um, problems. And I was one, one day I was actually walking in Capitol Park uh, and I was like, boom, I was like, I had been talking in my mind for the last over an hour to this one person that I hate. 
so much and i realized that i'm crazy i still remember that 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 the force of that realization that force of that the my mind was filled with anger aggression um and everything related to that desires and one pointed selfish pursuit of life and this anybody who actually was on my way i i created that enemy image and then i will scheme so that that's how my mind worked that time and i am like i am actually i cannot even control the thoughts that is coming arising it is like going non stop and at that point i had intense renunciation about the state of my mind and then what ended up was like maybe about 3 years of subtle depression and in, immediately i just decided okay this is not the way i want to i want to live and uh, i started looking for sanghas uh, there was a time i will go on five days a week to different sanghas and um, I, uh, our sangha was in davis at that time and uh, sometimes i'll miss the wednesday sangha sometimes i'll miss the sunday sangha but i never miss the tuesday sangha i missed this year and last year but initially i was not like that i will drive all the way to davis and um, um so there that that was my pattern um uh, there was a intense time of depression disillusionment i i remember one night sitting and unfriending about 100 people from my facebook and um stopping replying to emails stopping me- replying to messages just to disconnect that is disconnect and then i was at, i was going to sanghas every every weekday and making new friends and uh making leaving all and creating the new you know so that was my pattern and then there was this intense time of study and then at some point i was like oh now i want to help everybody there was a there was a time of disconnect and then uh, the pendulum is on the other side now i want to connect with everybody as a different jay so there was this time of like volunteering for everything related to dharma <laughs> <laughs> you know so it is like my my pattern was that, like that and um i have seen many people's pattern like that there will be a time of disconnect and disillusionment disillusionment and uh, depression and then there will be a time of connection and uh, i actually personally haven't seen anybody who had a transformation without that time but there may be i don't know have you have you seen anybody about uh, going the other way or was please others also if anybody have seen any others who have gone the other other way like um instead of withdrawing going more outward i'm an introvert so that that worked for me so i don't know about others does anybody have anything to say Personally, I had to do the, the Theravadan. I, I, I went in order. I did the Theravadan, then I did Zen, and now I do this. I went in order. And I definitely had to have that withdrawal in order to, to sever the ties of the world. I, I, personally, I had to do that. But I don't know about anyone else.
Yeah, I think um, I I don't know that I see anyone not go that I've seen anyone else not go through like that. Cheryl, could you somehow turn your audio up? And you get to get closer. There you go. Or whoever's talking. Um, Sorry. There you go. You hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, I don't know if I've seen anyone not go through that depression. But the thing is, I see a lot of people who kind of get to that point. And then um, they stop going to Dharma. They stop studying Dharma and I don't see them again. So I don't really, I mean, when I see them, they're back to like the normal life. It seems oh, like okay. more Dharma. Yeah. I don't know what's in their heart, but, um, but I think it's kind of like a natural mourning for the way we were raised to live and yeah. then changing to like a different gear and like a different way of living that's not completely sanctioned by society. Okay. There's a morning in that. Yeah, the, that, that's all kind of veering off the subject, but it's really pertinent, is that in this Western life, we're, we're not sanctioned, we're not allowed to have this type of life. Whereas a long time ago, um, being a monastic or being a, a, a yogi or whatever, it was it was a it was a big deal. It was it was sanctioned. It was sanctioned, and it's just not anymore. And so I do this as my life, and because of that, um, in all respects, uh, like socially, I'm I'm kind of an outcast. I don't care about that, and fortunately, I have the luxury to be able to live like this. I can be a yogi. I mean, you know whatever but not very many people can do this they have to work and it's just not set up our society is not set up to, to value this okay thank you thank you Cheryl again for the question and and now I'm actually going to give you a small introduction of the text um, the first um, chapter of this text is the benefit of the wish for enlightenment. Um, so it is, it's, a, it's a way of getting you excited about um, the wish for enlightenment. And in Mahayana, the wish for enlightenment is actually creating a bodhicitta, means um, a wish for enlightenment for the benefit of not just ourselves, but for the benefit of the entire beings, all beings. And um, it's like, like being a spiritual warrior to fight against the mental afflictions in our own mind and also in other, others' minds also. So it is actually um, benefits of wish for enlightenment getting excited about bodhicitta and the and the that is the first chapter and that's what i'm going to read after this introduction and uh, the second chapter is actually purifying bad karma purification so it's very important the placement of all these chapters are very important it's very logical it is once we have that uh, 
um, realization that we have to, as I said, I have to go from one hour south to north, that realization. The first thing is actually uh, knowing that our mind is already having a lot of mental afflictions, acceptance of the ignorant suffering mental afflictions in our mind and have an intention on purifying the bad deed. So it is actually a confession to ourselves. So that is the second chapter. So um, it gives a little bit um, teachings about um, cleaning a purification and uh, the negative how the negativities can actually it's actually uh, talks about the uh, scares you about what if you don't purify what will happen it's like you know uh, that is the second chapter third chapter is actually acquiring the wish of enlightenment it's actually an addition to the um, to the first chapter so it is actually Benefits of enlightenment, benefits of the wish for enlightenment. That is what the first chapter is. You don't have the wish yet, but you you've been okay. You know, it's like recruitment. And then the second one is like your mind. You already have a problem. Your mind is have mental afflictions. And then third one is actually planting the wish for enlightenment. So now that I know the benefits of the wish. And I know how messed up my mind is and how, how bad it will be if I don't take care of it. The first thing I need to do is plan the wish for enlightenment. And that this is, this is kind of three logical introduction. And from fourth onwards, different um, methods to um, train our mind that is learning to be watchful the first the first chapter it's the first of the second set is that i would say the first is intention planting first three the next um i think five or four is actually methods the teachings and then the wisdom and dedication so learning to be watchful or careful it is how to act like a bodhisattva how to think like a bodhisattva and um the fifth one is about awareness or sati or smriti or recollection, guarding our awareness. So remembering the first three and learning to be careful. So it's very logical. The sixth chapter is actually a chapter on getting ang not getting angry. So there is a chapter for not getting angry. Seventh chapter is about the benefits of joy, cultivating joy, um, joyous effort. Chapter eight is about um, meditation itself. So, you know, meditation, we do meditation. Every Sangha, we go and do meditation. But there are seven more, seven chapters before meditation, which is according to Shantideva, we have to have a wish for enlightenment. We have to purify our uh, bad karma. We, need, we have to have the recollection, the awareness, recollection of the awareness. Uh, not getting angry, teaching joy, effort, and then comes the actual meditation teaching. And um, the ninth chapter is actually the star of the book, <laughs> which is the wisdom. It is it's amazing. See, so Shantideva, as as I said in the introduction, the simple man, but the analogies he present uh, in the chapter nine is mind-boggling. So. Um, 
that is chapter chapter 9 and chapter 10 is generosity or dedication so out of the six perfection we say generosity ethics patience joy meditation and wisdom but according to shanti deva generosity he has put or the dedication he has put he's talking about generosity and the last so think about that mind of um shanti deva that generous heart of shanti deva with the whole nine you know uh, building blocks so if we can um, just thinking about it so it gives me goose bumps like how uh, how much how how will be that uh, mind of that person would be uh, i do that mind game even now also if i think if i see a cat or a dog or even a bee i would think about what are you thinking right now Did, you, do you remember your friends <laughs> you know i i talk to animals and um plants or even even uh, strangers in my mind and not to them directly animals directly but not to strangers uh, so i i always think about like how will be the mind of that person it will either take me to either compassion or wisdom you know um that is one of my practice that i do continuously whenever i see anybody chapter 1 the benefit of the spirit of awakening om homage to the buddha reverently bowing to the sugatas who are endowed with the dharmakaya together with their children and all who are worthy of veneration i shall concisely present a guide to the discipline of the children of the sugatas in accordance with the scriptures there is nothing here that has not been said before nor do i have any skill in composition thus i have no concern for the welfare of others and i have composed this solely to season my own mind owing to this the power of my faith increases to cultivate virtue moreover if someone else with a disposition like my own examines this it may be meaningful this leisure and endowment which are so difficult to obtain have been acquired and they bring about the welfare of the world if one fails to take this favorable opportunity into consideration how could this occasion occur again just as a lightning illuminates the darkness of a cloudy night for an instant in the same way by the power of buddha occasionally people's minds are momentarily inclined towards merit thus virtue is perpetually ever so feeble while the power of vice is great and extremely dreadful if there were no spirit of perfect awakening what other virtue would overcome it 
the lords of sages who have been contemplating for many eons have seen this alone as a blessing by which joy is easily increased and immeasurable multitudes of beings are rescued. Those who long to overcome the abundant miseries of mundane existence, those who wish to dispel the adversities of sentient beings, and those who yearn to experience a myriad of joys should never forsake the spirit of awakening. When the spirit of awakening has arisen, in an instant, a wretch who is bound in the prison of the cycle of existence is called the child of the Buddhas and become worthy of reverence in the worlds of gods and humans. Upon taking this impure form, it transmutes it into priceless image of gem of the jina. So firmly hold on to the quick silver elixir called the spirit of the awakening, which must be eternally transmuted. The world's soul leaders whose minds are fathomless have well examined its great value. You who are inclined to escape from the state of mundane existence, hold fast to the jewel of the spirit of awakening. Just as a plantain tree decays upon losing its fruit, so does every other virtue wane. But the tree of the spirit of awakening perpetually bears fruit. It does not decay and only flourishes. Owing to this protection and due to the protection of a powerful man, even after committing horrendous vices, one immediately overcome great fears. Why do ignorant beings not seek refuge in it? Like the conflagration at the time of the destruction of the universe, it consumes great vices in an instant. The wise Lord Maitreya taught its incalculable benefits to Sudhana. In brief, the spirit of awakening is known to be of two kinds. The spirit of aspiring for the awakening and the spirit of venturing towards awakening. So this is the first teaching. There are two types of spirit of awakening. One is in the mind, that is just the aspiration for awakening. And second is actually venturing, that is you're actually doing, you're talking about it, you're contemplating, you're meditating, you're, that inspiration or aspiration or intention is translated into action. Just as one perceives the difference between a person who yearns to travel and a traveler, so do the learned recognize the corresponding difference between those two. Yeah, so there is an example or analogy immediately after that. You know, I have actually made a lot of plans to travel, but I have not traveled. You know, I think that is the case with many people. So there is actually a lot of difference. 
you know, I, if I want to go somewhere, I do a lot of research. I have a lot of information, but the map is not the territory. So there are two types of spirit of awakening. One is the aspiration and one is the actual venturing towards the awakening. Next words. Although the result of spirit of awakening is a spirit for aspiration for awakening is great within the cycle of existence, it is still not like the con continual state of merit of the spirit of venturing. Okay, it's very simple, straightforward. From the time that one adopts that spirit with an irreversible attitude for the sake of liberating limitless sentient beings. From that moment on, an uninterrupted stream of merit equal to the sky constantly arises even when one is asleep or distracted. Wow, this is very important. So once the spirit of awakening both the intention, aspiration, and the venturing has started. Even as such a person, even he, he, when he sleeps, he's gathering merit. <laughs> Isn't that great? But the Dhagada himself cogently asserted this in Subahu Pracha, for the sake of beings who are inclined towards lesser vehicle. A well-intentioned person who thinks I shall eliminate the headaches or sufferings of sentient beings bears immeasurable merit. You just have to think that. Even that thought bears immeasurable merit. When then that person who desires, when what then of a person who desires to remove the incomparable pain of every single being? and endow them with immeasurable qualities. Actually, um, I have to reread re the first one. A well-intentioned person who thinks I shall eliminate the headache of once in one being, that itself bears immeasurable merit. What then of a person who desires to remove the incomparable pain of every single being and endow them with immeasurable qualities? So who has even a mother or father with such altruism? Would the gods, sages, or brahmas have it? If those beings have never before had that wish for their own sake, even in their dreams, how could they possibly have it for the sake of others? So here in this verse, he's actually saying that, you know, one precedes the other. You have to take care of yourself first. I'll read it again. If those beings have never before had the wish for their own sake, even in their dreams, how could they possibly have it for the others? So self-love, self-care, nirvana, and self-liberation is very important. And then we expand that and promise to help others. How does this unprecedented and distinguished dwell whose desire for the benefit of others does not arise in others, even for their own self-interest come into existence. How can one measure the merit of a jewel of the mind, which is the seed of the world's joy and is remedy for the world's suffering? If reverence for Buddhas is exceeded merely by an altruistic intention, how much more so by striving for the complete happiness of all sentient beings. 
those desiring to escape from suffering hasten right towards suffering with the very desire for happiness out of delusion they destroy their own happiness as if it were an enemy so here is an introduction to karma like what uh, there is a christian teaching right um, do unto others what you want others wish others do to you so this is what here is the desire from to escape from suffering hasten right towards suffering with the very desire for happiness out of delusion they destroy their own happiness as if it were an enemy he satisfies with all joys those who are starving for happiness and eliminates all the sorrows of those who are afflicted in many ways he dispels delusion where else is there such a saint where else is there such a friend where else is there such merit even one who repays a kind deed is praised somewhat so what should be said of a bodhisattva whose good is deed is unsolicited the world honors and as virtuous one who makes a gift to a few people even if it is merely a momentary and contemptuous donation of plain food and support for half a day what then of one who forever bestows to countless sentient beings the fulfillment of all yearnings which is inexhaustible until the end of beings as limitless as space the lord declared one who brings forth an impure thought in his heart against a benefactor a child of the buddhas will dwell in hells for as many eons as there were impure thoughts but if one's mind is kindly inclined one will bring forth and even greater fruit even when a greatly violent crime is committed against the children of the buddhas their virtue spontaneously arises i pay homage to the bodies of those in whom this precious jewel of the mind has arisen i go to refuge to those who are minds of joy towards whom even an offense results in happiness that is the end of chapter 1 so there are some things to contemplate on this the two types of wish for enlightenment or the two stages you can say one is in the mind and then one is in venturing and shantideva is actually asking us to visualize the merit even doing a small good to us to one person actually gives us lot of joy i put food outside sometimes for the birds there are lot of birds in in woodland <laughs> and it it 
it gives so much joy just to come just to see them come and have like a little bit so even a small thing can give so much joy are, are you in moran woodland moran i am in woodland moran county huh moran 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 county what county is that oh no it's yolo county yolo county oh, okay, okay. okay there's a there's a woodland in moran too okay i'm sorry okay. Oh, there's a woodland in Marin too. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Woodland in like a couple months back. Maybe, I think June. Yeah, four months back. Um, and uh, so even, even small deeds bring us joy. So wish for enlightenment to help all beings. And doing something with that intention can, the amount of um, merit for those is immense. So there are a lot of uh, subtle teachings in it. And uh, the second chapter is actually, he's actually diving deep. It's actually more of what um, confession like um, purification, I said purification, right? The purification is actually the first step in purification is acknowledging that I have an impure mind, impure in the sense, compulsive or impulsive or a mind with a lot of mental afflictions. Um, yeah, in second chapter, he says, having no merit, I am a destitute and I have no other gifts to offer. Protectors, you who think of helping others by your power, accept these for my sake. So he's actually going into um, confession, acknowledging the, the impurities or mental afflictions. And then the second one is he's taking refuge. And once after after refuge is actually there are about maybe 20 verses about different offerings. Um, so this second chapter, the way the chapter is organized, first is acknowledging our mind. Second is, okay, I have a problem. I need help. So going to the doctor that is taking refuge and then actually making the doctor feel good by a lot of offerings. So there is a lot of, uh, there's no time for to go on all those things, but um, about 20 verses about different kinds of offerings, you can actually offer, you know, imaginary things, all kinds of things. So I encourage you to look at the text if you are into offering practice. And then from verse 28 onwards, He's going into this confession, this series of confession. I will read some of them. 27, with, fold, fold, with folded hands, I beseech the fully awakened ones present in all directions and the greatly compassionate bodhisattvas. Whatever sin I, a brute, have committed or caused harm to commit, caused others 
to come in this life and others throughout the big, beginningless cycle of existence and anything in which I have deludedly rejoiced, thereby harming myself, that transgression I confess, overcome by remorse. Whatever offense I have committed out of disrespect with my body, speech and mind against the three jewels, against the mothers and fathers, and against spiritual mentors and others, and whatever terrible vices I, a sinner, defiled with many faults, have done, O oh guides, I confess them all. How shall I escape it? Rescue me quickly. May death not soon creep upon me before my vices have vanished. Death does not differentiate between the task done and undone. This traitor is not to be trusted by the healthy or the ill, for it is like an unexpected great thunderbolt, the death. I have committed various vices for the sake of friends and enemies. This I have not recognized. Leaving everyone behind, I must pass away. My enemies will not remain nor will my friends remain. I shall not remain. Nothing will remain. Whatever is experienced will fade into a memory like an experience in a dream. Everything that has passed will not be seen again. Even in this life, as I have stood by, many friends and enemies have passed away, but terrible sin induced by them remains ahead of me. Thus I have not considered that I am an ephemeral, Due to delusion, attachment, and hatred, I have sinned in many ways. Day and night, a lifespan unceasingly diminishes, and there is no adding on to it. Shall I not die then? Although lying here on a bed and relying on relatives, I alone have to bear the feeling of being cut off from my vitality. For a person seized by messengers of death, what good is a relative? And what good is a friend? At that time, only merit, merit alone is a protection. And I have not applied myself to it. O oh, protectors, I negligent and unaware of this danger, have acquired many vices out of attachment to this transient life. One completely languishes while being led today to have the limbs of one's body amputated. Parched with thirst and with pitiable eyes, one sees the world differently. So he goes on on, on about this confession and the need to remember the gain, how to gain virtues. That means the importance of protection, uh, purification and gaining virtues or the merit or good karma. And he talks about the Lord of death can come anytime. So this second chapter is about, as I said, the purification of the mind. The first one is about wish for gaining the wish for enlightenment. The second is like accepting our, our state of the mind and then um, accepting it in detail the danger of not reversing that into a virtuous mind and how fast 
the death can come or how close it is waiting. So these two are very, these two chapters are very powerful. And um, so that's why I wanted to take um, a lot of time on these um, initial chapters. The next one is, um, about the actual gaining of the wish, like planting the intention. And it, the, the, it, the first four verses is actually rejoicing on the realization of chapter one and two. So he rejoices that he had the realization. And then from verse five to 25, it's just a prayer for Bodhicitta. It's a beautiful prayer. And from 26 to 34, he himself declares he has born again as the son of Buddha. So I wanted to cover that in this class also, but we don't have time. It's 7.49 now. So this chapter three and four um, we'll, do, we'll do next class. And um, I think um, we have had a lot of classes on six perfection. So I, that section, I'm actually going very fast um, but these initial chapters and and the readings are very that's what i'm actually going to do in my classes so there is like 10 minutes more if anybody have any suggestions questions comments or anything um, this is the time and after that we can have a quick dedication meditation and and I put the link to the text that you're that you're using, the Alan Wallace, in, in the chat. Ah, thank you. Selfdefinition.org. Is there any question? Any comment? I don't know. I'm actually reading while reading. I was thinking like I have a thick accent and I talk. I don't. But when I read something. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I don't know. I can understand you very well. Um, I, I've been studying Hindi and Sanskrit. Maybe that helps. I don't know. Were you able to follow me when I was reading? Okay. Totally. Okay, thank but you. But like I said, because I've been studying Hindi and Sanskrit, and I watch a lot of Hindi movies and stuff, so I don't know. And actually, the um, uh, I started with the story of Shantideva, and after that day, no, nobody has seen him after that day. So in in in, Maha, in the in the monastery, he was actually um, tricked by his friends, who actually, um, you know, everybody disliked him. So he had uh, he, they thought he he's good for nothing. He gave this teaching and just vanished. Nobody's seen him after that, and that 
teaching have lived from 8th century for 16, 1400 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it will, it will live forever. Um, I thought he flew away and then they tried to get him to come back and he refused. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm busy teaching here. <laughs> yeah, so he nobody has seen him and uh, there is re- reports that he has elevated and himself went to the, <laughs> to the paradise. So it's all... Um, Uh, Heather was wondering, I think I understand your question. Um, when you read each chapter, like, do you get a different feeling from each chapter? Or like, what's your um, like um, embodied experience of reading it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I have, um, I, I get feelings. I get emotional. It's not intellectual for me. So I have read Shantideva before, and I always, this is just between you and me. I always feel like Shantideva is my elder brother. (laughs) So it is like I have elder brothers in my family, and they have given me um, important mentoring. So uh, that kind of relationship have love in it, affection, a lot of, you know, uh, good feelings and coziness. So when I read, I actually really directly connect with that person. And I actually feel um, uh, that uh, the teacher talking to me directly. And um, and it, um, every, there are some verses where he's actually crying. There are some verses he's actually made funny. He's very fierce, feisty. The death is coming. How stupid you are doing all these things. So these are the, so I feel it. And um, it's not just, not just this text. I think that is the way it works for me. Reading any original text. I always like to go to original and read. Um, You know, I cannot read um, like a book, Sanskrit. Um, I can actually read, as fast as I read English or my own language, but Sanskrit also I understand. So, but um, so when I read, it actually just goes inside. And sometimes I become really silent and in deep meditation for a long time. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I get high. Uh, sometimes my heart is filled with a lot of love. And um, so, um, uh, thanks for that question. My embodied experience. Um, is is actually hundred times valuable for me than the actual logic behind it or the intellectual understanding. It's interesting because what you're saying, your emotional experiences of of his different verses, you're explaining the different um, modes of a of a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And and, you know all the different modes. So there's a susceptibility. Yeah, thank you. So the next um, um, next class, we will do uh, some readings, go through the six perfections, accept generosity, um, one by one. And um, 
a little more about the karma. The four practices of karma actually comes from this. Uh, that I don't know. It doesn't come from this. It, there is roots mentions of the um, four parts of karma. I actually wanted to cover that in this in today's, but um, I didn't get the time. So we will we'll do that. Purification means there is like you know there is the four laws of karma, the four. Uh, flowers of karma or the or the results of karma the four steps of purification and the four powers uh, so there is four by four 16 steps i will cover that very fast um, so that makes a purification um, chapter and then the rejoicing and and the six perfections and on the third class we can do some uh, wisdom and dedication it's 7.56 now. Let us do a three-minute meditation. And I, can, I think I will read the chapter three, some verses. I happily rejoice in the virtue of all sentient beings, which relieves the suffering of the miserable states of existence. May those who suffer dwell in happiness. I rejoice in sentient beings' liberation from the suffering of the cycle of existence. And I rejoice in the protectors, bodhisattvas, in their bodhisattva hood and buddhahood. I rejoice in the teachers, oceanic expressions of the spirit of awakening, which delight and benefit all sentient beings. With folded hands, I beseech the fully awakened ones, the buddhas in all directions, that they may kindle the light of dharma for those who fall into suffering, owing to ignorance. May all beings be happy. May all the karma we have acquired in this session benefit all beings all over the world, in our families, in our friends, and plant immeasurable good virtue, good karma in our own hearts. Maitri Karunam Muditam Upeksham Maitri Karunam Muditam Upeksham